This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome. It's a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the 19th day of October 2021. Beautiful day here in Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, A little chilly this morning, but it's the fall. What do you expect? Uh, So anyway, we got lots to talk about. Obviously, if you are a Red Sox fan, it was... uh, Party time last night once again. The Sox just continuing to pound Houston Astro pitching. Red Sox, you know, think about this. The Red Sox didn't even clinch a playoff berth until like the last day of the regular season. They are two wins away from the World Series. Uh, You know, a team that most people thought was going to be a 500 team at best and uh, here they are, two wins away from the World Series, and uh, remarkable. You know, can't count your chickens before they're hatched, but the good news is you've got the 2-1 lead if you're Boston, and the next two games are in Fenway Park. They've got a chance to finish this thing out. I mean, that may be too much to ask for to, to win the next two games, but I'll tell you what, you know, if they do that and they don't have to go back to Houston – and get a chance maybe to get some rest, you know, rest to get your starting rotation where you want it to be for the start of the World Series. Oh, my goodness. So we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm uh, going to start off with uh, some COVID news. <laughs> COVID news, but it's COVID sports news. So uh, Washington State University has fired their football coach, Nick Rolovich, and four of his assistant coaches because they refused to get the COVID vaccine. So the governor of the state of Washington, Jay Inslee, who had set a deadline of yesterday for all state employees to be vaccinated. And Rolovich, who was 42 years old, came over from the University of Hawaii a couple of years ago, is out of a job. And by the way, he was the highest paid state employee. He's making three million bucks a year. And his uh, principles were such that he just refused to get it. Now, you know, he said right from the beginning that he wasn't going to get the vaccine, and he's been wearing a face mask on the sidelines, et cetera, et cetera. But look, you know, we're facing this across the country with state employees. We're facing it with private companies. The federal government has set out rules that they want, uh, you know, companies that have more than 100 employees that are going to require vaccines. I'm sure that's still going to be challenged. But look, at the end of the day, and as I have said all along, your employer has the right to impose certain things on you. If you want to work at a restaurant, 
you have to wear their uniform. If you want to work at McDonald's, as simple as McDonald's, you have to wear the McDonald's uniform. You have to show up to work when it's 9 to 5. There are, you know, the companies have rules, and you have a choice. You can follow the rules, or you can find another job. It's that simple. And you can say, well, they can't tell me what to do with my body. Well, okay, that's if if that is the the what you want to the the case you want to make, that's fine. Find another job. Now Rolovich refused to uh, to talk about why he wasn't going to get the vaccine when it first started, and then finally on October the 9th, about ten days ago. He said that he was seeking a religious exemption for the mandate. But, by the way, so he said he was face, uh, using a religious mandate or, or a exemption, but he did not uh, say anything about what religion he is or, or how it goes against his religion. So what he had to do is he had to file a appeal with the state, an application for a religious exemption, those applications, by the way, go in front of a committee that are that review the requests, but the applications do not include the person's name. So the application that Mike Rolovich filled out, or Nick Rolovich filled out, did not have his name on it. So it went in front of this committee as a blind application, and the committee rejected his arguments. So, you know, what it tells me is that his supposed uh, principles on the basis of religion didn't stand up to this independent committee, and who, by the way, did, did allow some exemptions. But they didn't in Rolovich's case. So, and because he was fired for cause and fired for cause means we made a rule you de- you decided to go against the rule so we can fire you for cause that means that the university does not have to pay the rest of his contract he is signed through 2025 at 3 million bucks a year so they don't have to honor it I'm sure, you know, his people may file a lawsuit to try to get it, but good luck with that. You know, and some people say, well, you know, this could be just about money. The Washington State Athletic Department is a, has a budget deficit of $30 million this year. That's the cynical view in my part, in, in my opinion. At the end of the day, every coach in the Pac-12, every head coach in the Pac-12 is vaccinated. He was the only unvaccinated head coach in the Pac-12. You've got high-profile coaches across the country like Nick Saban in Alabama, Dabo Swinney down at Clemson, Lane Kiffin in Mississippi. They, you know, A lot of these high-profile coaches have all come out and said you got to get vaccinated. Lane Kiffin went as far as saying that not getting vaccinated on his team is irresponsible. And he said 100% of his team is vaccinated. And by the way, in, this, in Washington, 90% of the Washington State University employees have been vaccinated. 97% of its students have been vaccinated. Fewer than 50 of the over 10,000 employees in the Washington State University school system asked for exemptions. 
You know, so at the end of the day, people are getting on board with this, and Nick Rolovich decided that he wasn't going to, so the 42-year-old's out of a job. And good. I'm sorry. You know, uh, look, we've got the same problem here in the state of Connecticut. The, the, there is a law here in the state now that state employees have to be vaccinated, and 99% of them are vaccinated. But the state is going to be firing about 100 people because they refuse to get vaccinated. Some right now are on uh, unpaid administrative leave. Some of them are going to lose their jobs. Look, this isn't, I get about personal choice. Okay, I do. But I'm sorry. This pandemic has killed almost a million people in our country. It's killed tens of millions around the world. And yet we still have people that think it's okay to not be vaccinated. And that it's all about personal choice. This isn't just about personal choice. This is about protecting everybody. Because you are less likely to, not only are you less likely to catch the disease or die from the disease if you get vaccinated, the amount, you, the chances of you transmitting the disease to other people is greatly reduced. So this isn't just about yourself. This is about protecting other people. Um, the federal government has said if, uh, you know, if this mandate that Joe Biden's administration has come out with, with the employees, uh, uh, companies with employees over 100, they have said that you have to be vaccinated or you have to get weekly testing. And I don't know whether that was an option in Washington or not, but uh, at the end of the day, the rules are the rules. And you can either abide or you can go somewhere else. Yale New Haven Health here in the state of Connecticut, 13,000 employees. They're going to be firing between 100 and 200 people this week because they refuse to get vaccinated. And some of them are nurses. You know, and it, it runs the gamut. It's not just nurses, but it's very common. It, it amazes me, by the way, across the country, the percentage of nurses that are not vaccinated. I, I don't understand how it is that 99% of the doctors all are vaccinated. And yet the percentage of nurses getting vaccinated is much lower to the point like I want to say it's 65 percent, something like that. That's a I don't I don't know that for fact. I, I believe that's the number I, I saw. It's shockingly low. And these are people that deal in health care. The hell are we doing in this country? Um, so, you know, and, and so that's. Rolovich deserves to get fired. I'm sorry. It's just irresponsible, and it's stupid, and uh, I'm glad he's losing his job. Uh, you know, I'm not one to, to cause, you know, to, to wish misery on people. But, dude, you know, the science says this is the right thing to do, and the science says this is safe. Uh, you know, and, and these people that are still walking, there are people, now that Colin Powell has died, and it was announced that he... Uh, died from complications from COVID. You got the whack jobs around the country saying, see, we told you these vaccines, they're not safe. Look, Colin Powell died. Colin Powell was <laughs> immune compromised. He had multiple myeloma. He had Parkinson's disease. He is one of the exact reasons why we should be getting vaccines because you make it safer for people like him that are compromised. But the chances that he was going to get COVID, unfortunately for Colin Powell, was high. 
because he was facing so many other things. But you have these idiots saying, see, we told you. You know, and the, the scientists the scientists and the CDC have all come out immediately and said, look, don't read too much into this. This isn't about the vaccines. But the Trumpers and, you know, the idiots, they just don't want to listen. You know, they, they are just determined. I'm so afraid. <laughs> I'm so afraid about, you know, I'm looking forward to my move down south, but I'm so afraid at the same time about how I'm going to have to censor myself. Or I may just have to keep the fact that I have this radio station a secret. I'll just continue to do my show, but not advertise it to my neighbors and not let anybody know down there. So, Because it's just, it's frightening. So along that now, so Nick Rolovich gets fired for cause. This one's even worse. The NHL has suspended Evander Kane, who plays for the uh, San Jose Sharks, for 21 games. So he is going to be out until November 30th. He's been suspended without pay until November 30th. Why? This one's rich, folks. Because this idiot submitted a fake COVID vaccination card to the NHL. Which, by the way, doesn't just go against the NHL's COVID protocols. It's illegal. Using a fake vaccination card in the United States and Canada is illegal. So not only did this idiot get suspended, and rightly so, and I don't know if anybody will go after him, but he could be facing criminal prosecution because he submitted a fake vaccination card. And, you know, look, this is a big, this is big business. These fake cards you get on eBay, and it's unreal. You know, people all over the web, you know, advertising, you know, selling fake vaccination cards. Well, Evander Kane uh, <laughs> is now going to lose $1.7 million of his $7 million salary this season because he used a fake vaccination card. Good. I wish he could lose all $7 million. This idiot... <laughs> Look. How... When 99% of the league is vaccinated. You know, actually, it's more than that. According to the NHL, there are only four players, four on active rosters that haven't been vaccinated. Four. I'm telling you, 21 games is not enough for this idiot. And this is a guy that, you know, uh, signed this huge contract with the Sharks, three, you know, seven years, $49 million. And obviously has the intelligence of pocket lint. You know, and then he puts out this statement. And these are the, I always hate when guys, you know, look, everybody makes mistakes. To me, this, was, this, this wasn't a mistake. This was intentional fraud. 
So I, you know, I don't, I'm sorry, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for this guy yet. I guess with his statement, we're supposed to have some sympathy for him. And he, and he, you know, I, I get so pissed off when I read these tapes. I made a mistake. One, I sincerely regret and take responsibility for it. Hey, no shit. Oh, excuse me. No kidding. <laughs> During my suspension, I will continue to participate in counseling to help make me to or to help me make better decisions in the future. Oh, come on. Really? You're not going to do any of that. You're going to go. You're gonna go. You're probably gonna go see somebody once, just to, for lip service. You know, when my suspension is over, I plan to return to the ice with great effort, determination, and love for the game of hockey. You're an idiot. I hope the first time he comes back, somebody lays his ass flat on the ice. This is the same guy, by the way, Evander Kane who was accused by his ex-wife of betting on NHL games. They, they couldn't corroborate the, uh, the, the accusations, so he got cleared of that. Uh, he's also been accused, by the way, of uh, sexual and physical abuse by his ex-wife. Now, we have to take into – or, or it's, it's, actually, she's not his ex-wife. It's his estranged wife. You know, So the fact that they're having marital issues, I mean, some of this you have to take with a grain of salt. But let me tell you something. Accused of gambling on hockey games, accused of sexual and physical abuse, and then you top it off by committing fraud with a fake vaccination card. Not looking real promising for Evander Kane's character check. Jesus. God. All right, that's enough. Okay, I got my anger out. I, I saw the thing about Evander Kane this morning. I nearly lost it. You know, the thing with the coach in Washington, look, you know, get riddance, you know, and I, I hope there's, you know what, and I hope high schools and I hope there's other, I hope people don't hesitate to fire these people that won't do it. I'm sorry. Now, if a company allows you to test out instead of, of instead of getting a vaccine, I'm, o- I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. For instance, my wife works for Home Depot. The Home Depot ha- is going to be implementing uh, a rule that you either get vaccinated or you get tested weekly to to be sure that you are clear of COVID. That's fine. That, I'm perfectly fine with that. But if your company doesn't give you a choice, you have a choice to make. You follow the rules or you find another job. It's that simple. So I think if uh, Nick Rolovich is looking for anybody to feel sorry for him, the only people that will are the Trumpers. Okay. Baseball from last night. Let's get to some fun news. Um, the Boston Red Sox just continued to pummel Houston Astros pitching. Here is it. it this series, it does. you don't have to go any farther than this to realize why the Red Sox are ahead two games to one. And think about this. They, this could be a 3-0 series. The Sox had a lead in game one. If not by that Carlos Correa home run, the Red Sox could actually be up three games to none right now. But look at listen to this stat. Astros starters in this series, five and a third innings. They have given up 13 hits, 14 runs, 12 of them earned. They have walked eight guys in five and a third innings. They've only struck out five, and they've given up three home runs. 
Oh, by the way, the three home runs that the starters have all given up, they've all been grand slams. That's where we're at if you're a Houston Astro fan. And your best pitcher, Lance McCullers Jr., isn't even on this team's roster because he got hurt in the division series and is not even on the ALCS roster. So now, after getting the crap beat out of him last night, the Houston Astros have to turn to Zach Greinke, who is going to be 38 years old this week. He will pitch game four tonight. Now, Zach Greinke is a guy that has a great pedigree. He has had a really nice career, right? I mean, Zach Greinke is a guy that uh, started his career with the Kansas City Royals, you know, a guy that uh, has done some remarkable things in his career. So, you know, you would say, well, they've got a pretty good chance here. Except that um, Zach Greinke has not started a game since September 19th. Why? Because his ERA down the stretch this year was hideous. He has pitched, since September the 19th, he has pitched a grand total of three and a third innings. Three and a third innings. And one of those was in a, uh, a, a game, a loss in the uh, AL Division Series to the Chicago White Sox. He pitched one inning in that game. That's, <laughs> that's who they're throwing out there right now. A guy that, uh, you know, and if you look at his career in the postseason, it's meh. He's got an ERA in the postseason in his career. Now, he's pitched in 20 games in the postseason since 2011. He's got an ERA of over four. Um, you know, he wasn't very good last year for the Astros. But the way he finished out the regular season this year, if you're an Astro fan, you have to be very concerned. Um, you know, his overall numbers on the season, he pitched to a uh, 4.16 ERA. He was 11-6. and six. So you look at those numbers and you go, that's eh, not bad. It's not bad. Except that his last 15 games, he had an ERA of almost five. He gave up uh, uh, 41 earned runs in 79 innings. His last, it's even worse if you look at his last seven games in the regular season. He had an ERA of over six. And that is who who the Houston Astros have to turn to to try to salvage things tonight. You know, and look, the Red Sox last night, Kyle Schwarber with the grand slam on a 3-0 pitch in the second inning, chased uh, Jose Urquidy, who had been great against the Red Sox in the regular season. But Jose Urquidy, after starting the game hot as hell, retiring the first uh, the first inning in order, he threw 46 pitches in the second inning, couldn't even finish the inning. Uh, you know, Alex Verdugo, great at bat last night, fell behind 0-2, fouled off like five pitches, ends up with a walk on 11 pitches. 
Then J.D. Martinez, who's been hot as a firecracker, doubles off the wall. Hunter Renfro walks to load the bases. And then Christian Vasquez, and, and look, I've been critical of Christian Vasquez's approach this year at the plate, you know, and his approach on the base pass. Um, but a great at-bat for him as well. Uh, he gets down in the count one and two. Cuts down his swing and, like, goes with a pitch that's on the outside part of the plate, lines it to right field. Sox lead one nothing, And then Christian Arroyo hits a bullet. Takes a bad hop on Jose Altuve. It could have been a double play if Altuve, Altuve makes the play. Doesn't. He boots it. Another run scores. And then Kyle Schwarber ended it. Ended any chance Houston had. He makes it 6 nothing on the grand slam. And then... The Red Sox get two more hits after that. They left him in after the grand slam. And then Kike Hernandez uh, and Xander Bogarts with singles, and that's the end of the night for Jose Arquiti. And Yimmy Garcia, who would look great early in the season, comes in. He ends up giving up three more runs. I mean, this was just its just crazy. Christian Arroyo hits a homer off of him in the third. J.D. hits a home run in the uh, sixth inning. Rafi Devers hits one in the eighth inning. I mean, the Red Sox right now can do no wrong. The Red Sox became the first team in history with three grand slams in a, in a postseason series. Matter of fact, they are the only the second team to have three grand slams in a postseason period. The 1998 Braves had three grand slams in their postseason. That's it. Uh, the Sox are also the first team in history with three grand slams in a span of two games, either regular season or postseason. And Kike Hernandez, who came in hitting 500, guess what? Two more hits. He's he's hitting he's hitting 615 in this series. He's hitting 500 overall in the postseason. It's crazy. JD Martinez just continues to stroke the ball. It's almost like rolling that ankle was like one of the best things that happened for J.D. It's forced him to change his swing a little bit more. He stays back on the ball, um, and it's been great, wonderful to see. And Erod last night goes six. Oh, my God, we had a starting pitcher go six innings. Stop the presses. Excuse me. And with the exception of a bad pitch, uh, to Tucker, who took one out for a three-run bomb, he was damn near perfect. Struck out seven, didn't walk anybody. And by the way, you know, this is a Astros team that's supposedly the hardest team to strike out in baseball this year. Red Sox have been just fine. And then Hansel Robles comes out, scoreless inning. They even brought in uh, uh, Martin Perez, Scoreless inning, Sawamura with a scoreless inning. And what Erod did last night, and you cannot minimize this at all. Erod, by going six last night, the Red Sox are sitting in the catbird seat. Why? Because it means Nick Pavetta, they didn't have to use him yesterday, they didn't have to use him in game two. That means Nick Pavetta is on pace. He will start the game tonight. It's going to be his first postseason start. He was great against the Astros in the regular season. 
He held him to two runs over six innings back on June 2nd. So, so Pavetta's on pace now to pitch game four. You've got Chris Sale lined up for game five on Thursday. And then you can come back with Nate Evaldi. I mean, it is hard to envision how the hell the, the Astros recover from this. They're going to pitch Granky today. Framber Valdez will pitch game five on Thursday. And then, I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine that Urquidy will come back probably for a game seven if it goes seven through 57 pitches last night. But they are, Houston, we have a problem. They are, you know, their pitching is in deep trouble. Now the Red Sox have Pavetta, as I said, Sale. Look, they still have Tanner Houck. Tanner Houck has pitched one inning over the last seven days. Now, it wasn't a great inning, gave up a bomb, but they've got Tanner Houck. Didn't have to use him yesterday. They have Garrett Whitlock. Didn't have to use him yesterday. They have Adovino out there. They have their bullpen set up exactly the way they want to. They, yesterday, they went, they, when you can get innings out of the bullpen and you can go to Salamora, who's been awful, and Martin Perez, who has been awful. Oh, they've got Josh Taylor out there. He didn't pitch. They are set up for a victory tonight as long as the bats can take care of Zach Greinke. Now, it's going to be interesting because Zach Greinke's a guy, you know, he doesn't throw hard. He throws a lot of junk. A lot of junk. You know, the Sox hitters are going to have to be very patient. They're going to have to stay back on the ball, and they're going to have to crush his breaking pitches because that's how he's a junk baller. You know, a lot of times you see lefties that are junk pitchers. Zach Greinke is one of those rare right-handers that just throws uh, uh, crap. But he keeps people off balance. But Erod set the Red Sox up for success. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this offense can continue to stay as hot as it is. I hope so. You know, and the other thing to think about, and, and they, they mentioned this on the Fox broadcast last night, you know, think about this. The Red Sox are doing all this without their best hitter really participating. Xander Bogarts hasn't done much of anything. He's hitting 231. He was one for five last night. Xander Bogarts struck out three times. You know, just imagine if he was hitting two. You know, but it gives you some hope that, all right, well, you know, maybe he starts to get hot a little bit that somebody else has an off night. But uh, Hunter Renfro hasn't hit at all in this series. But at the end of the day, it is hard to envision with the way the pitching is set up for the Red Sox and the pitching nightmare right now that Houston is facing that the Red Sox don't win this series. I, I, I can't even believe I'm saying that. I, I had hoped they were going to put in a good showing. I never saw this coming. You know, And it's possible, folks, we have a World Series coming that nobody wants, except for Red Sox fans and Braves fans. But it's possible that we could have a Braves-Red Sox World Series. You know, and if you're if you're Fox, you're probably not thrilled about that. They really wanted the Dodgers. You know, you know they want the Dodgers, or they wanted the San Francisco Giants because of the great story. But you know they did not want the Atlanta Braves and the Boston Red Sox. But that may be very well what Fox gets. We're going to talk about the Dodger game in just a minute. They uh, they will play game three of their series tonight when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
It's 39 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. So before the break, I, I teased, you know, we could have a Red Sox-Braves World Series. Yeah, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, you really really care who they play. Although, again, it's one of those things where if they play the Braves, you like their chances a lot better probably than playing the Dodgers. But having said that, uh, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse as far as this Braves-Dodgers series goes. Uh, you know, let's remember last year the Braves led that series against the Dodgers two games to none, three games to one, and still ended up losing it. You know, and here's why you cannot count out the Dodgers. The next three games are in Los Angeles. The uh, Dodger Stadium has been a house of horrors for the Braves. The last time the Braves won a game at Dodger Stadium was June 9th of 2018. Three years ago. Three and a half years ago. They've lost nine straight in Los Angeles. They got swept in a three-game series there late in August. Uh, They got shut out twice there in the 2018 NLDS. Uh, Going back to the 2013 NLDS, the Braves have lost 19 of the last 22 in Dodger Stadium. So it's kind of hard to to get too worked up. And, And don't forget last year, the NLCS wasn't even in Dodger Stadium. Remember? Yeah, that was in Texas as part of the pandemic thing where they had the the the, the, uh, uh, the NLCS and the ALCS were played in, in Texas and San Diego. And let's also remember the Dodgers were 58-23 and 23 at home this year. That was the best home record in Major League Baseball. They won a franchise record 15 straight games to end the regular season at Dodger Stadium. So, you know, there you go. And, you know, the thing is, is that the disadvantage, and this is where winning the division is so big, and the fact that they lost the division by one game to the San Francisco Giants is so big because they are a wild card team. They don't have the home field advantage in the playoffs. Didn't have the home field advantage against the Giants. They won it anyway. They don't have the home field advantage against the Braves either. If they sweep these three games against the Braves in Los Angeles, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, Charlie Morton goes for the Braves tonight. He's uh, 0-1 with a 3-8-6 in the postseason. Walker Bueller is going to start for the Dodgers. Uh, Walker Bueller, who, you know, as I said yesterday, outside of Max Scherzer, if Max Scherzer wasn't on that roster, Walker, Walker Bueller would be considered the ace of that team. He won 16 games in the regular season. So you have to say advantage to the Dodgers tonight. And Bueller, by the way, is starting on two extra days of rest. He started game four of the NLDS on short rest a week ago, but he's got a couple extra days of rest, so he is going to be ready to roll. And the Dodgers are planning for a bullpen game. Now, whether that bullpen game will be game four 
or Game 5, Dave Roberts hasn't decided yet. One of those games, Julio Urias is going to get the start. My guess is, is if the Dodgers win tonight and make it two games to one, they will come back and they will probably go with a bullpen game in Game 4, hoping that they can piece that one together. Then you come back with Urias in Game 5, Max Scherzer in Game 6, and Walker Bueller in Game 7. And again, you know, it's it's hard to 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 pick against them. Uh, the Dodgers do expect to have Justin Turner back in the lineup. Uh, he came in as a pinch hitter, as you remember, in Game Two. He's got some kind of a, a neck impingement, and he has struggled in the postseason. So you almost wonder whether having him back in the lineup is the right thing. Look, he he started seventy seven straight postseason games before that uh, game two but he's he hit oh you know oh 50 oh 50 against the san francisco giants in the nlds so you know if he's not right you almost wonder if they're not better off having somebody else in the lineup you know he also made a big error the other night you know so he hasn't been right but I like the Dodgers' chances tonight. I'm not saying the Dodgers are going to come back and win this, but I'm also not telling you that I would be shocked if they did. Um, so last night I was switching between the Red Sox game. Fortunately, the Red Sox helped me out by making it a bit of a laugher last night, and I was able to watch a little bit more of the NFL uh, game, the Monday Night Football game, than I thought I was going to be able to. Um, but I saw something last night that I still don't understand. The Buffalo Bills lost to the Tennessee Titans last night, 34-31. to They lost this game. Now, it's possible they could have lost it anyway, but they lost this game because on fourth and one, down inside the five-yard line, with uh, 12 seconds, 13 seconds left on the clock, the Buffalo Bills, instead of kicking a, you know, a 22-yard or 23-yard field goal that would have tied the game and sent it into overtime, decided to go for it on fourth and inches, figuring, yeah, we're going to get the automatic first down. We can make, take a crack into the end zone, try to win this thing. They decided to, to go for it on fourth down, and Josh Allen tries a quarterback sneak, Loses his footing, gets stuffed, doesn't make the first down. Titans take over. They win the game. Now, Brian Greasy, who was doing the uh, analysis for ESPN last night, you know, is like, oh, I love the call. I think, you you know, you keep it in your best player's hands. I love the call. I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. I'm sorry. That was the absolute wrong decision. I said it last night. As soon as they were doing it, I was like, what the hell are you doing? And you can say, well, you know, we're on the road. You play to win on the road. You know, yeah, look. And uh, I texted Dan Sabano last night when that happened. I said, I can't believe that they just made that decision. Uh, so, and Dan fired back. He said, it's game six. This is week six. You kick the field goal 
and you go for the win in overtime. If this is the playoffs, okay, I get it. You know, if it's the playoffs, maybe you make a different decision. But how Sean McDermott, you know, and I'm sorry, he's going to be getting some heat for this, and he should. It's week six. You are four and one. You know, you have got to kick the field goal there. Um, Ryan Tannehill, look, Ryan Tannehill was not great for Tennessee last night. The only reason the Titans won this game is because Buffalo couldn't figure out a way to stop Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, 20 carries, 143 yards, three touchdowns. Ryan Tannehill was not good. No touchdown passes, threw an interception. He was 18 of 29, just wasn't very good. He, you know, he, he scored a touchdown, a, a quarterback sneak, but big deal. He's not... You know, he was not very good. So th- there was nothing that was said to me last night that, you know, the Bills said, oh, we can't stop there, you know, that we got we to gotta go for it here. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. That was the wrong decision. And how about this? So with the loss, Buffalo is now 4-2. Now, they still have a two-game lead in the AFC East, but as bad as the Patriots were this past weekend and the fact the Patriots are 2-4, and four, how about the Patriots are still only two games out of first place? Now, you know, look, I mean, it's it's not that the Patriots are going to catch the Bills, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's just funny. And now, you know, again, we got a long way to go in this season. But the Baltimore Ravens are now 5-1. and one. By making the decision that you did, you helped out Tennessee. Tennessee's 4-2, and two, so they're just a game behind now. But Baltimore right now is in the driver's seat in terms of, home field advantage in the playoffs. Now, we, again, I know, it's week six. We got a long way to go. And this Buffalo schedule, you know, it's not that hard. You know, I was just looking at the Bills' schedule before I came on the air this morning. You know, I'm looking at the games they got to play on the road. With the exception of the game they have to play at Tampa, all right, the their remaining schedule is not hard. They play at Jacksonville. Well, that's a W. They play at the Jets. That's an easy W. They play at New England. They're going to beat the Patriots. You know, this Bills team is in great shape schedule-wise. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule. What what tough games do they have left? Okay, you can make a case that the New Orleans game is going to be tough on Thanksgiving at New Orleans. Okay, I'll give you that. Maybe that may be... They may have their hands full. The game at Tampa in December 12th, that's going to be a tough one. But the rest of their schedule, folks, you know, I mean, I guess you could say that the Carolinas, you know, could give them a game. The rest of their schedule is easy. Atlanta, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, the Jets twice. Atlanta. I mean, this is an easy schedule for the Bills. You know, and as far as the Ravens go, the Ravens actually have a tougher schedule because I believe their division, well, I know their division's a lot better. The AFC East stinks outside of Buffalo. Patriots have two wins, and Miami and the Jets each have one. You know, but and if you look at the Baltimore schedule, their remaining schedule is is rough. There's no question. They still have to play the Steelers twice. They have to play Green Bay. You know, they have to play... The Cleveland Browns, twice. So this Baltimore schedule is a lot more difficult. So Buffalo may be able to overcome that mistake, but make no mistake, 
Sean McDermott blew that last night. That should have been an overtime game, which, by the way, would have been the fourth overtime game of the week, which would have been kind of cool. But uh, that was an error in judgment, in my opinion. Uh, last thing this morning before uh, we hit the road, I got a showing coming up at 10:15, so we're going to get off a couple of minutes early. Uh, the UConn men's basketball team is in the AP preseason top 25 men's basketball poll uh, for the first time in five years. They uh, were picked number 24 in the preseason poll. Uh, you know, Dan Hurley kind of expected, look, he's got uh, eight guys back, you know, and he's got a top 10 recruiting class. So he kind of expected to be ranked. But this is a UConn team that, you know, look, we always expected the UConn men's basketball team to be ranked in the top 25. It's like the UConn women's team. The day that doesn't happen is the day hell freezes over, it seems. But, you know, since the 2016-17 season, you know, when the when the uh, when UConn started at number 16, they hadn't been in the top 25 at all until last January when they finally got back in at number 23. And they ended up falling back out again. But this is a UConn team, I think, that is going to be uh, in the top 25 a lot this year. The only uh, other two teams in the Big East that were ranked in the top 25, Villanova came in at number four. Uh, actually, they were the only other one was Villanova at number four. Uh, Xavier and St. John's got votes, but they did not uh, reach the top 25. Gonzaga, to the surprise of nobody, the preseason number one, they got 55 of the 63 first-place votes. UCLA got eight. Uh, top five rounded out by Kansas, Villanova, and Texas. Uh, interesting. Duke, ranked number nine. Kentucky, ranked number ten. Two teams that missed out on the NCAA tournament last year. Of course, Duke going to have their last season under Mike Shashevsky. Uh, they finished thirteen and eleven last year. Uh, Kentucky, nine and sixteen last year. It was their first losing record since the eighty-eight, eighty-nine season. So, uh, so a couple of the uh, uh, teams you're used to seeing but were disappointing last year back in the uh, top 25. Matter of fact, in the top 10 with Duke and Kentucky. Even North Carolina uh, in the top 25, they are ranked at number 19, uh, their first season under Hubert Davis. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hopefully some good news if uh, you're a Red Sox fan and uh, they can manage to take a 3-1 lead after tonight. But uh, we will have all that for you tomorrow morning. We leave you with some music from Thomas Rhett, Country Again. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.